Hello everyone, it's time for another Military History Verbalized podcast and today we're going to speak about the representation of Hearts of Iron 4 of World War II, what is realistic or historical and what aspects are more lacking and a special guest we have again Justin who has a master's in military history. Hello, Hello Justin. Everyone. Hello. So Justin is our, I mean we have a good combination here, Justin really likes Hearts of Iron 4 and I really like Hearts of Iron 3, and I'm a bit biased against Hearts of Iron 4. Justin is also an expert on, on the Pacific area, so we will probably talk a little, little bit closer about the Japanese focus tree and everything. So let's first off start with production. So what are your thoughts on the overall production, how it is represented in the game? Uh, I really like it, actually. Um, just being able to assign certain factories to pieces of equipment and being able to kind of modify those equipment using you know army experience or air experience or whatever. Um, this is setting aside the naval side where I have some serious issues with how they uh, go about the tech and production for it. Uh, although I kind of understand on the production, but little bit iffy on the naval stuff but like as far as like producing small arms or artillery or whatever and then like equipping your units with specific pieces of equipment that they can run out of and um, they can use old stuff like I, I find that whole system actually um, pretty fun to play around in and I know you have a, diff a different perspective so. yeah I mean there's some aspects I like for instance that you can assign is this an, an, an division that gets preferential treatment and one that just gets low-level equipment. This I really like. And the other thing I really like about the production is the efficiency stuff that you really see when you produce something for longer that you can produce way more. And so when you switch the manufacturing belts to a new type of panzer or a new plane that you get a real drop in the output initially. I really like mm -hmm. that. What, what, I've, what I have mainly a problem with sometimes is I mean, I think it's actually more realistic and historically that you lose your connection to your individual divisions and units because you have basically this template and you, you churn them out in mass. Whereas in, in Hearts of Iron 3, I set up my divisions more individually, especially with mods. So I was, I also like the template system, which makes complete sense, but it, it gets a bit, I mean, this is the whole issue. Hearts of Iron 4 is a, huge focus on the production side and very low on the operational side. And I'm more operational guy for which Hearts of Iron 3, I think, is better suited. But I think... Oh, yeah, that's fair. I think the main problem with, with the production system or more in relation to, to the supply system is that you need oil for producing, for instance, tanks, I think, and airplanes and also rubber for... Okay, which makes sense. Actually, rubber makes sense. But you don't need to keep them running. So you only need supplies and you don't need oil to keep your, your panzer divisions or your motorized infantry divisions running. Yeah, the lack of fuel is um, probably a pretty wide criticism. And I mean, it's probably one of the main, like, I don't know if it's, it's probably not a popular opinion, but I couldn't stand the resource stockpiling from Hearts of Iron 3. It was horribly clunky and obnoxious. And easily exploitable too. So, like, if you're a good player, you could basically not have a problem with resources anyway. And if you were trying to learn the game, it was like you're trying to trade 0 0.84 money per day for 0.654 oil, or it's just awful. And I, I do like overall the newer system, other than the lack of fuel, which I mean, that's like one of those really crucial. <laughs> Things yeah. that the game should really keep track of, because you know, as Japan, for example, I never need to think about when I deploy my fleet or not. I just like I'm going to start a war. I'm just going to deploy my entire navy and have them patrolling for the next five years, like nonstop, <laughs> unless they need to be repaired. Because I don't never have to worry about fuel, which is, of course, pretty silly. Wasn't the main reason the Yamato wasn't used more often because of the lack of fuel? Yeah, they, they could see the like um, fuel allocations and things like that actually impacting usage uh, of certain things. Like, you know, not like, for example, um, Yamamoto, at least according to um, his, bi his biographer, he asked um, if he'd be able to send 
uh, Yamato over to Guadalcanal to help bombard and things like that, and they said no because it would have burned too much fuel. So, in fact, um, there's actually an art interesting article on um, Kaigu in the website, which actually where the um, I think it was written by John Parshall, but um, it kind of breaks down like the percentage of fuel fuel oil they would have ended up using to like actually maintain bombardments with you know, like uh, both Yamato and Musashi and things like that. And it was a ridiculous amount of fuel that they really could spare. Oh, yeah. I so, mean, I think in Europe it's, it's similar. I think the Italian Navy wasn't used mm -hmm. for much because they were dependent on, on oil they would get from Germany or, or the minor Axis nations, and it, it was very limited. So not portraying that in a game, yeah, is a huge issue. Yeah, the Italians, I think, are even bigger in that, if I remember correctly. Like, they could barely ever sortie they because of the fuel concerns and of course in game it's not really a problem so so the question That's... would be i mean i agree with you that the the system in hearts of iron 3 was not properly done and i was one of mm -hmm. admittedly later on who knew how to stockpile before the war to get yeah. to get around major restrictions i mean rare materials was usually more problematic because in in europe you don't get them mm -hmm. and oil at least you can you can get quite a lot from from Plasti in Romania, and then, of course, the the Eastern Front. So, I mean, could you see a way on how to to improve this to add fuel production in the game? I mean, shouldn't be actually that much of a problem. Yeah, they probably just have to come up with maybe like a new, maybe shortish tech line uh, for like fuel refineries or something like they could probably do it with and not not completely alienate like people that aren't really into that kind of thing like you they could work it in pretty easy if it's just fuel that kind of actually this whole discussion reminded me of something that does trigger me pretty hard for hard swearing for and that's um synthetic refineries there i don't know i guess I, I think i've played hearts of iron 4 more than you have but yeah uh Synthetic refineries in Hearts of Iron 3, from what I remember, like it was kind of, you could kind of supplement your supply, but you weren't going to be able to completely go dependent of actually getting resources out of the ground. It was, right. it was completely, as far as I know, on the meta level. It was like you could, um, a certain amount of coil was transferred into oil dependent on your on your technology level so you never built oh, right. them it was completely it was a completely different system it was completely macro management actually it was not even macro management you i think you oh, couldn't okay. even turn it off it just happened right yeah because yeah in hearts of iron 4 you build refineries which i'm actually okay with like the, the problem is is I don't know if it's like cost or something, but yeah, as for example, as Japan, my standard is like, I spam synthetic refineries. Like, so basically by 1941, I'm almost self-sufficient in oil anyway. <laughs> like, I don't even really need the Southern resource area. And I mean, and then, you know, they recently split the research between rubber and oil, which I think will hurt the Germans a little bit more because you need both. With the Japanese, I get like all of the rubber I would ever need when I capture like Malaysia and all that. So all I do is like I tech up the oil stuff and then I spam refineries and I'm like, I have more oil than I know what to do with, which is a little bit goofy. Like I'm never really that, like outside of the first couple years of the game, I'm never really dependent on trade or anything like that because I just have so much oil. Yeah, I think this is a bit off. I mean, I did a, a video on this, how actually the... The German successes in in the early part of the war had a, had a major what detrimental to Jap to the Japanese because a lot of the merchant fleets from from Europe, especially I think Netherlands, they were now used in the war in the European theater and and the, and the Japanese had a lack of merchant fleets, so they needed to supply more with their own merchant fleet and their imports were dropping in everything. So okay. so that is quite insane actually if if you self-sufficient on oil i mean does japan even have enough coal do you use coal for that in game uh they did have quite a uh yeah see there's like coal isn't even a thing in game and if i yeah it's not even one of the resources ah they, they, they really... removed coal coal as a resource okay that's a major issue yeah yeah that didn't even occur to me because yeah like 
what are the resources? There's oil, steel, rubber, and aluminium, I think. And then chromium or something along those lines. Oh, chromium and tungsten, yeah, something like that. They removed coal, really? Yeah, there's no coal. That, that that is that is a major oversight because coal was was so important. Yeah, I mean, I I I made this video where basically Cambridge history of the second world war is stated in every resource article that coal was pr- probably the most important or among the most important. I didn't even realize they cut it out. Yeah, that didn't even like occur to me until I uh, talked it through. But yeah, and coal was never an issue for Japan. Like historically, Japan actually was looking at synthetic oil but um they, i think they had like a single refinery in manchuria or something like that like it was it never really developed past the token stage like it wasn't going to be i shouldn't be able as japan to easily replace like importing oil or whatever with just building like i could just imagine like in the japanese empire and there's just like in manchuria there's just fields of synthetic refineries <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, didn't they use soy oil for the for the Yamato in the end? Uh, I know by forty four. Uh, yeah, I think it was forty four or something. They were actually like the the fleet was stationed out of um, Singapore, the East Indies, because they wanted to. They were literally pulling oil out of the ground, and then um, they were burning unrefined oil. Which of course was terrible for the boilers, and it was producing all sorts of like tons of smoke and things like that. But because um, they couldn't even get it back to Japan to refine it all, so <laughs> so they had a lot of uh, issues. So I mean, the since oil is in the game, they could basically remove it from the production line. Because I mean, do you need really? Do you need oil so much in production? I'm I'm actually not so. I mean, not, in in real life. Mm-hmm. Like, not really, I don't think. Like, they could easily pull that that oil resource out of the production requirements and put it towards some kind of fuel. To the su- in the, um, into the supply system. Yeah. So like they had in Hearts of Iron Free that you have supplies and you have oil or fuel. Yeah, because the oil should almost be separate from that. And they could even replace oil with, like, coal requirements, like power. Which yeah, that, cool that makes a lot of sense. As an abstraction of like power production, like that, that that would be actually probably an interesting way of going about. Yeah, it. I, I mean, this is one of the interesting parts that that some some things which I'm annoyed in Hearts of Iron Four that some aspects that were really good already in Hearts of Iron Three are are not there anymore in Hearts of Iron Four. Like, like I don't know, like. Like a, a, there was a purge going on on the design phase instead of, okay, there's some aspects we we don't like and we removed them completely, even though they yeah. were good, which is a bit, I don't know what happened there. Well, to change gears, I guess we can, what, what's your thoughts on how the, the general land combat plays out in Hearts of Iron 4 versus Hearts of Iron 3? Well, I think it's, Hearts of Iron 3 was basically a lot of micromanagement, and I really mm-hmm. liked that. But it's, uh, I think to a certain degree, it's not a correct representation. And Hearts of Iron 4 is more, it's really a grind from, mm-hmm. from, from the land combat, which I think is a better representation. But gameplay-wise, I dislike it. I especially dislike the, the whole um, planning system, which I think is more realistic. But oh, okay. I don't trust the AI. <laughs> Let's face it. Yeah, the AI isn't very good at. Uh, um, and I I like Hoi Four system better overall, but um, I'm also like with a caveat of. But, but this is the same. It goes all the way back to Hoi Three uh, for me. Is like I would never want to play something like the Soviet Union or something like where you have just like hundreds of divisions. Like, that's to me is. Um, like this, the Hoi Force system, I think, falls apart there. I mean, unless you're gonna either extreme micromanage every division like a crazy person, or if you're going to delegate huge swaths of the war to the AI, like fronts just pushing. Yeah, I mean, like, the the the, mo- the the biggest complaint I have about uh, Hearts of Iron Four in in land combat to a certain degree or land warfare is the the invasion system. Because oh, okay. 
because I don't get a pop-up now when when an enemy invasion is happening like I did in Hearts of Iron 3. I just get a, a oh, siren sound. You you get a you get a siren sound in the background and and I usually don't hear it. Oh. <laughs> and there's this one icon up there on the right with five others that a naval invasion is going on, but I don't get a pop-up whereas I get a pop-up when an ace um is born basically or an ace dies and I don't even care yeah. about aces. So, so the notification system, of course, which has nothing to do with the representation, although to a certain degree, actually, it has. I mean, let's let's assume you're the leader of of a of a of a country, and imagine like it's June sixth, June nineteen forty four. Your your chief of staff runs in and tells you that that you lost three aces, and three days later, he tells you that the Allies actually landed three days ago in, in Normandy. It's a it's a bit off the prioritization <laughs> of of the of the notification system, which was in my aspect very well done in Hearts of Iron Three because you com- could completely um customize it. For instance, I usually forgot that when I sent my navy around, since it took so long to get somewhere, that I often forgot that I sent my navy somewhere in a in a harbor for a new operation. And then I set the notification to every time give me a pop-up once a navy reached its goal. So I could assign a new mission to it. Which yeah. I think is like basically you trained your chief of staff to tell you what to do. And this is severely lacking. So in terms of command and control in information flow, I think it's a Hearts of Iron 4. Hearts of Iron 3 was almost perfect. Although extreme mm-hmm. micromanagement and Hearts of Iron 4 is like yeah, it's like Keitel running in and telling you that that Mulder's died in a plane crash, but not <laughs> telling you that the several divisions landed in Normandy. Yeah, but, but overall, I, I I like the the land combat in Hoi Four, and I really like the division um, template system and all that. Yeah, I liked it like too. Uh, although I would make the the requirements in terms of of experience, I'm not sure I would tweak that. I, I understand it to a certain degree that you need yeah. the experience to change them. And also, I think there was this major issue that it's in certain aspects is historical from the numbers, and in certain aspects it's not. I think because mm-hmm. I have I have the template all, all open. I think, yeah, the artillery battalions. I think in-game they're basically, they have the numbers of battalions, but I think you can basically only assign them like they were regiments. So you're there yeah, three the... times. So it's, it's like, why you keep the naming or the support? I think they also call them support companies, although the numbers are basically the same like the, the, like the battalions. So... If you make it yeah, inconsistent, sure. so if you if you use the name like battalions and companies, then stick to the historical numbers, or maybe just call them subunits or something like a, a generic name that mm-hmm. people don't get unnecessarily confused. Which I understand because I understand it should be a game and it should make fun and easy to understand. But then if you use historical terminology, try to get it right. Yeah, yeah. The numbers on uh, on like, and I don't expect them to do individual for every nation. I mean, it could be interesting maybe down the line, but because um, like particularly artillery, like the amount of the amount of artillery pieces that the game like makes you pump out is like comical, like it's compared to like real world. But yeah, I think the representation was actually that in game. I I have now here my. Sheet, nah, I think there was something off. Yeah, I mean, you only have regular artillery in there, which makes sense because if you make light and heavy artillery or even all three, light, heavy, and medium, then it, it would get really complicated. Yeah. Now, uh, moving on to something probably a little bit more um, problematic, air combat uh, in <laughs> Hoi 3 versus Hoi 4, which I know uh, you get quite... I, I like... I hated air combat in Hoi 3. I thought it was garbage. And in Hoi 4, it has a lot of issues, but I like it more. But that's not to say it's good. Like, for me, the main problem with Hoi 4 is 
it's kind of purely production and like, like it's just whoever has the higher tech aircraft and then pumps more of them into a given air region is gonna win and it's, it's like very simplistic yeah which... i mean the the thing is especially the air regions make no bloody sense from from what yeah. i know in in anything i never read about like and also the the, the shape they have it, it yeah it makes no sense if it, in in air you don't have really a region. I mean, I know, for instance, Curtis LeMay instructed the transport fleets. I think that flow um, the flow um, supplies around China. That they say, okay, we know those maps are not accurate of the mountains. So just in case, for every kid you have, you add one thousand feet or something on this mountain, so that you be sure you fly over it. And but besides that their air regions make no sense and I, I have no clue why you put them in and why they are not cut out yet and I I didn't really like air combat in Hearts of Iron 3 and I think it was also very confusing but what what in, in Hearts of Iron 3 I, I, I at least knew what was going on it was like okay yeah. <laughs> I don't have air superiority here or okay my fighter planes are, are doing a mission there and you could assign a region where they would in intercept. You could also assign a certain angle of attack. So, for instance, only north of Hamburg for a 90 degree, you, you intercept everything. Yeah, like on those lines. So I could, I could guard a certain area and down to, to individual province levels. So it, it could really make sense. You had to do a lot of micromanagement. But at least I know what was going on. And in Hearts of Iron 4, I think I needed to watch a tutorial and everything to even create my first air group and assign them properly. And, and I think I assigned the missions, but I couldn't relocate them properly. And it was like, it was, it, was, it was basically, yeah, I needed to look up a tutorial on how to do it. So basically I had to call in Goering, if we go with that representation again, and say, Goering, I want... I want Luft, uh, I want Flieger Core 10 and Flieger Core there everywhere. And Gary said, I don't know how to do this. I need to call Yoshinek. And then they called Yoshinek and, and then they called everyone individual to do this, basically. So, <laughs> whereas in Hearts of Iron Free, it was like, hey, Goering, shift Flieger Core 10 around. And he said, yeah, okay, here, it's done. <laughs> I, I just wish they would rep better represent um, like it's something beyond just tech and production because that's ultimately all the air combat currently is, which is like on the very highest levels is like that's really important stuff. But I mean, there's nothing to do with even if they could come up with something like pilot training, like where you have like um, or experience levels even for air wings, like they do for. Um, for military units yeah. or something yeah for armies or something and maybe tweak it a little bit where like you're like a base air wing has like a middle level like a like a neutral almost experience and then it can go more veteran or less veteran like where you actually start getting combat penalties yeah like it would maybe make, make things a little bit more um because yeah right now it's like i understand like even in the um in the multiplayer meta if you don't set up a lot of house rules like people will just like tech rush fighters to like 1944 fighter and then just spam them and then like you just win air superiority everywhere like it's it's really awful but <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i mean this this would make sense i mean this as as you mentioned yeah i think they don't have any experience in anything at all yeah it's completely on a on a macro level and yeah, the, the only and you don't know what's going on. Inexplicably, is aces. Yeah, yeah, which, uh, which make which and they just come and die. It's yeah. like you get a pop up, <laughs> and that's it, and say, okay, I, I got ace, I lost ace. Oh, oh <laughs> what what should I do with that guy? Yeah, yeah, that's not really really thought out. I mean, I actually, but but the thing is, I must acknowledge I have no clue actually on how to do the the air combat system better. I mean, you made made good points with with like that they get experience the different air wings, which would really make sense because you assign them a certain number of 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 pilots and planes, and if they lose planes, then a certain you have a certain attritional rate on 
on the on the man. I mean, you could make, for instance, you could create certain air units, and you assign them pilots and also mechanics, and they get mm -hmm. better over the time with with the experience. And for instance, the mechanics, yeah, they usually won't die, but if you introduce, for instance, new planes, their experience would go down for a while or something along those lines, or their efficiency or their efficiency would drop which could make sense. And with the pilots, if you lose too much and you lose your core units, like say like your, your core staff, then they, they would drop immediately and, and the increment in experience would also be way lower. So, so this system could make sense. And of course, get complete rid of the air regions, completely get rid like of give, them. Yeah, full control back to what exactly what you want the aircraft to do. Yeah, more like no, no more like. Um, I would say, you, you, you create the units, mm -hmm. and and they also fixed size. Like you create, you can you you have like three sizes or something. You can create your your fleer core, and then you can your fleer army, or I don't know, is it what it fleer army? Your your air army. So let's say you have an army and you have a core. I mean, I think you don't need. And maybe a, a smaller one, yeah. So like you have two or three sizes, and then you assign them to certain, um, of course, um, airfields or a combination of airfields to certain regions. I mean, you could make the, the air regions more like you have ground regions where they have a support. Then they could also function in, in, in coordination with the supply system so that you have air braces which where you have the regions, but in the air itself, it comes all down to, to which units you have signed. So you can keep it rather high level still, and you just assign them their, their overall mission, what they should do in, in a certain area, a larger area, like, like you could say to them, okay, support this and this army or defend, like defend the, defend all industry regions here or defend in, in range or defend all, all naval, naval targets in range or something along those lines that you don't have to micromanage it, that you assign a broad mission and that on, on the more micro level you have like this, this management, what happens with, with the training and everything. And yeah, on the, on the meter level that you have can assign, okay, training requirements, you set them to, I think you have this for infantry, for manpower, or basically for armies, like scratch the bell and everything, and more like how you would do the training, that you say, okay, um, 100 training that hours are okay. Pardon? Uh, yeah, like something from the politics tab. That yeah. would actually be interesting, where you choose like how much training you're, um, you're putting into your, like, you know, you can produce more pilots faster that are of lower quality, or, you know, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and you can do the same with the planes, basically, because you, you then you assign, for instance, only 1941 fighters and and also medium flight training, but the other one goes with the newest tech and and high training, but he has way fewer. So this would be interesting to give a, a little bit more, because then for, for the size and everything, for the regions, what you defend, because I assume it would play differently out for if you defend and you have uh, good interceptors with, with high quality pilots, that it's something different like in defending the Reich and fighting on the Eastern Front, for instance. And also mm -hmm. you, you would have the supply problem then, because then if you have your, your aerodrome in Smolensk, then you have already the supply problems with supplies and oil coming in at this point. And then the, the region makes sense again, because for the supply, that comes on, on on the ground. Since I'm next picking already, I I, I'm, I have another point which I also can defend why it's not in game because um, few food is not depicted oh, in game, okay. and I, I found this quite funny. Um, I think Squire mentioned this once on on a stream, he, he, which I was present, and he said, "Yeah, they don't represent few food, and so you can't, for instance, like to starve out England." The thing is, I completely understand there's not food in this game. Because basically, you could create this headline, imagine the, the Daily Mail, for instance, like, um, play Hearts of Iron 4 and starve England to death, or something along those lines, which are basically yeah. replied to Squire. And so, 
this was also one of the reasons, for instance, why Spain didn't join the Axis, because basically they say, oh, we, we don't have, they were dependent on food imports from, from Great Britain and the, or no, from the United States mainly. And, and Germany couldn't supply enough. And Germany said, oh, we don't actually want you in, in the Axis. So the whole food issue is in that part understandable that you say, okay, we don't portray civilian losses and, and the other parts around. So that I say, okay, you don't have it in game, but from the representation of the whole war, it's really lacking. But the other thing is it rarely gets mentioned at all anyway. It's mm-hmm. food. It's it's an issue in and is brought up very well in the Cambridge history of the Second World War. And I did a video which also brings it up World War One, a uh, World War Management One Hundred One for both the First and the Second World War. But besides those few articles, and and also yeah, in Germany at the Second World War it comes up, but usually everyone else ignores it. So I, I understand it's not really in the game because. I'm not even sure if it's ever mentioned in, in any other popular medium. Food, is it mentioned in, in movies? I don't think it ever. And so in this case, food is not well represented, but I completely understand it why they don't do it because nobody else does it. And it's a huge problem in terms of what you can do in a game or not. You, I think you, you are pretty well served with the Japanese focus tree. Speaking of high level and strategic decisions, so what are your thoughts on the new focus tree? Uh, I actually like the new focus tree overall. I mean, of course, there's goofy options like you can go communist or whatever, but it, I mean, all you have to like, there's people like getting violently angry about it. It's like, just don't click on it. Like, you know, so like the historical stuff, which is the only one I really look at, like, you know, the purge, the Kodoha faction. Uh, yeah, it's actually like I've been working slowly through my a Japan campaign in the, the newest um, expansion. And yeah, that's pretty good overall. Um, did he the, pick the one did... part of the, the one part of the branch that kind of blows chunks is the, the air power one, like the, anything to do with the aviation on the Japanese focus branch. Like it kind of reveals that like paradox has a very simplistic, poor, understanding of of the japanese air services like why we have an entire tech devoted to the zero when you know like it's kind of like meme focused (laughs) (laughs) but didn't they do the the inter-service rivalry rather well yeah they through the decision system now that you can actually like choose to for example dedicate more steel to ships or to guns or you know like like so there's like these decisions that will skew the the balance between the army and the navy one way or the other, and you'll get bonuses for the army if you favor them, or to the navy if you favor them, etc. Which is actually I, I really like that new addition, which is quite nice because um, before obviously it wasn't modeled at all, and I mean the way they have it currently implemented, you can basically ignore it. Like in my current one, I just haven't taken any of those decisions to boost one side or the other. And therefore, like, it's just remained balanced and I haven't taken any penalties. But it's nice that it's at least there. Yeah. And, and about yeah, the- communist Japanese, is, this, is there any validity to it in, in terms of decisions? Because from the German focus tree, I, I know that there were quite many different um, possibilities actually out there which are represented. Yeah, like the, the, the three main political branches, like, or four, actually, because there's a, a strength in the civilian government, which is basically you end up eventually democratic, which is within reason. And then um, support the Kodoha faction, which is, again, within reason. Um, the Kodoha faction, they're the ones that staged a um, rather famous coup attempt, the 226 incident, uh, February... 26th, 1936. Um, and then the, the the historical one is to purge them, and then you kind of go down the historical one. The support one is kind of what they lumped um, uh, no, uh, Northern Advance Doctrine or uh, Strategy under, which, I mean, really, they've gone either way. So, but um, 
The communist one is probably the goofiest. Uh, the way they actually have it play out after you've cut and kind of gotten over the fact of Japan going communist at this time, even though they've done a pretty darn good job of thoroughly purging anything uh, the like out of it. But um, once you get past that, actually, like you basically end up eventually in a civil war with like the militarist elements that uh, all fled to Manjukuo. And then you have to like try and dig them out. Eh, it's kind of interesting, but not really my cup of tea. The one thing that the one branch that I have to use is that air power one that I really don't like. It's like there's just like this arbitrary thing between range and agility that gives you designers that are like actually exclusive, and then there's nothing at all about naval bombers where even though the Rico units were like one of the biggest things to come out of the the Japanese Navy in this period like that was actually one of the big pushes from Yamamoto I mean everyone always thinks about carriers but the land-based naval bomber development that was like a kind of like a um, something Key that element, Yamamoto yeah. pushed really hard so, so the Riku so, units are completely not in the game or no, well, yeah yeah like you can build them and do all that but they in the tech tree, there's absolutely nothing to boost them. So you have like a penalty to aircraft research, which is actually kind of cool because you've got like split aircraft development. Like that's how they're modeling it, which is cool. But then in the tech tree, you kind of fall behind, like even what Japan did historically because the penalty is so steep and then they have very few bonuses or anything in the air power tree. It's a very weak branch. I mean, you can get the zero for free and why have a dedicated tech for the zero is just like that that kind of like belays like they didn't really do any serious reading like just like why do we have a strategic bomber effort focus instead of like something to do with the rico units or something because you know like like it's kind of lame but um yeah it's kind of a nitpick overall but that's kind of the yeah i do like the naval part of the tree but... i mean the thing is I, I read this article in why Air Forces fail about why the why Japanese Air Force fail and, and there was a, it's a rather short article but they said Riku units and I can't remember that they even mentioned strategic bombers because well they were not yeah, that important so usually if they have read that article they probably should have got a basic understanding of the importance what happened yeah, there. Yeah they just, they just never developed those kind I mean they were like by late war or they were like kind of like playing with the concept but they never really took it that seriously and then i, I always laugh like i think even uh, mark keady in his book uh he's a really uh, he was a really smart guy excellent book i mean he even he was like oh if the japanese had only had all these four engine bombers how things could have or it's, it doesn't say how things could have been different but he's like imagine what would have happened and i'm like trying to imagine what would have happened it's just like okay so they have all of these four engine strategic bombers that they're using to bomb what? Jungle <laughs> <Yeah>. Islands, <laughs> and, like like it was a class of aircraft that was basically useless for the Jap Japanese purposes. It's not like um because you obviously you hear that discussion for the Luftwaffe where it's like you can at least think up uses. Yeah, <laughs> at least at least you 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 can waste more more resources <laughs> bombing Britain. Because <laughs> like with like I guess they could have bombed China more, but that wasn't going to win the war in China, so okay like it, it's kind of goofy but yeah. yeah so um let's next look at your specialty naval warfare which i have very little clue about yeah uh, in short um it, it, in hearts of iron it's always sucked really bad <laughs> like in hearts of iron 3 it sucked so hard like it, it they at least try in Hearts of Iron 4, like they've finally brought in piercing, like like armor, like the same stuff they've had in land combat since like late Hearts of Iron 3. They finally brought that in in Hearts of Iron 4. So you have armor penetration um, now and, and armor values? Yeah, which they didn't have before. It was like, yeah, Hearts of Iron 3, it was basically little better than just dice rolls. Like that's, and it's still almost like that, but at least they have like a little bit more going on. Um, the balance is completely screwed as far as I know. Like some, I know from my own experience too, and people constantly complain about this, submarines suck like so bad. It, it's just the, the way they, like they get detected pretty easily and then it takes them forever to like catch convoys and then like sink, like it, they're just not 
useful really at all. But like, how, how like is it about um, air forces? Because in basically in Hearts of Iron Free, the, the way I achieved naval superiority with Germany is I built a bunch of naval bombers in there and I bombed the shit out of of the oh, ships in ports. Yeah, they're they're still really strong. Like, um, and they buffed them. I think a couple patches ago. Like, <laughs> I when I play Japan, I play pretty historical in that I play like kind of the, you know, the um interception attrition operations like i basically fortify the mandates and then stuff all this land-based air power and stuff into them and then make the americans come to me and like you got naval bombers just everywhere uh just pummeling the uh fleets and the u.s navy is like like a complete joke like i can sink it um, with taking very few losses as japan just because the ai doesn't know how to deal with all the land-based air power you can do the same thing with the Italians. You spam lots of land-based air power, and then you can just bomb everything in the Mediterranean with unity. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, one thing that I think it comes up every once in a while, but the, the tech tree for navies is pretty awful. Um, Parts of Iron Four, and I mean, like, cause like I find the tech trees overall, like for tanks and everything, like they're pretty good. Like, you know, like, um, you could endlessly end texts and people will be like, oh, well, it's not modeling individual, but it, that doesn't really matter that much for a game as high level as Hearts of Iron 4. But where navies get concerned, it's like you have one tech for every ship in existence built before 1936, which was, by the way, most of them in World War II. Yeah. So... You're, you have one tech level to try and differentiate everything from like German pre-dreadnoughts all the way up to like one of the big seven, like like you know one of the, like Nagato or Colorado or what Nelson, and they're not even in the remote same league, and they're trying to like force it all into one tech level, so you get lots of really horrible stuff like um, the Congo class, the reconstructed battle cruisers, like in game, they're a tech two battleship, which means they are flat out more powerful across the board than the Nagato class, even though that's completely ridiculous. Like, so the, the game does a horrific job modeling that. And why it matters is because it takes a long time to build ships. In game, it takes a very brief time compared to reality, but it's still a long time in game. So it's. The ships you have, like, you really need them to actually be kind of close to their historical parallels because, like, when you lose them, like, then you actually feel something instead of just having all these Tech One battleships that are basically the same. It, it kind of gets really annoying. How, how is the Tech? I think uh, you you only research ships, right? Or did they change that? Or am I wrong? well, yeah. The, there's there's doctrines, of course, but like in the Tech Trek. Uh, in the tech tree, they have a 1922 tech, which is like tech one, destroyer, light cruiser, heavy cruiser, battle cruiser, battleship, etc. And then the next tech that you usually have to research, research at game start, or maybe some naval nations already have it researched, is 1936 tech. So there's like... Ah, uh, yeah, and there's one, time. One, <laughs> one ship that represents it all the time, right? It's like, yeah, you have tech one, tech two, three, and then yeah. yeah, you have one ship that represents that tech, right? Yeah, so like everything built before 1936 is the same tech level. And then like you can tell they pl kind of half-heartedly played with some of the variants, but the way the variant system works is like they can't get it anywhere near enough differentiation. Like they really desperately need to add another earlier tech level to like differentiate some of the like the ancient stuff from the newer stuff. Like they could almost do like a 1914 tech just for um like some of the really really old stuff to kind of separate yeah um, would make sense I a mean, little bit i mean there are quite a few ships that fought in the first world war was were also fighting in the second world war i mean a lot of destroyers are there battleships of course so actually this wouldn't be so off yeah yeah like it, it's something that they should really look into um, modeling because it, it it does detract from the naval game because everybody's kind of running around with the same kind of tech one stuff, even though like in real in the real world like certain battleships that have been like for example like in game the German pre dreadnoughts that were still kicking around that were like just complete trash 
they are like comparable to a Nagato class in the game's logic. <laughs> like the Nagato, they still buff the guns and everything like that, like with the variants, but it's nowhere near enough. I mean, you're talking about eight 16 inch rifles versus like, I can't even remember what the, I don't know if they have 11s or something like that. It's like not even in the, the same universe of capability, but in the game, they're like somewhat there. Like it, it, it's so it causes a lot of like really goofy problems in the naval game. That uh, that's always that's one of my big um, bugbears about naval stuff. And the balance overall is skewed. But I typically find if I play we like recent like reasonably historically like I get results that I like kind of expect. Other than like super heavy battleships are like hilarious actually. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> They sink so much. <laughs> okay, they are completely crap in game or what? No, super heavy battleships, like, uh, when you get the Yamato, it'll sink so many enemy battleships, it's almost comical. Ah, okay, but, it's uh, the other way around, it's, it's completely overpowered. Yeah, they're they're really, really strong. Like, they're still not worth building over carriers, but I still build a couple of them, just because they're... It's really funny watching them get into an actual surface engagement, and they're just like melting all of these <laughs> old battleships. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's basically like my um, my thoughts about Hearts of Iron Four. So I don't know if there's anything you'd like to add or. Yeah, um, I have some. I have a question about the the whole naval aspect. I mean, you also okay. you also played Hearts of Iron Three. Did you think the research system there was better for the naval aspect? I'm trying to remember because I played Hearts of Iron three with the um, HPP mod historical plausibility. Okay, so they had I don't a, like, know a that. Completely, one. yeah. It, it was it was like a mid sized mod, but it wasn't as big as like the big ones. But um, it they expanded the tech in that significantly because I think Hearts of Iron three, if I remember right, had a similar problem. I mean, you, but... you in Hearts of Iron three in the vanilla game, you basically researched. Um... Guns for battleships, um, armor for oh, battleships, right. engines. Yeah. I think four components for each, and and then for cruisers. Yeah. And I think they distinguish between light and heavy cruisers in some instances, and in some not. So and you had destroyer and also, I mean, this was completely overcomplicated. The question is, could it make sense to make like a bit more tech in in Hard Volume Four that you say, yeah. You have a tag for, for, I don't know, propulsion of, of capital ships and then of non-capital ships. Something along those lines. Or what what, what yeah, would make like, sense from your knowledge because you're also well-read in, in all this. So I mean, what, yeah, what without like problems? completely changing the Hearts of Iron Force system, I would add at least one more tech level like earlier just so you can differentiate some of the stuff that's already in existence a bit better. Because that's, that's the first thing a lot of the mods did in Hearts of Iron 3, I think. Like I know in HPP, they had like 12 tech levels or something like that of ships just to differentiate all of the different um, earlier ships that were in existence plus new construction. Whereas Hearts of Iron 4 has a very strong bias toward things you build as the player, yeah, which I guess kind of makes sense, but not really at all historically. There's that much emphasis on what you can research in the future versus what was already in existence and that really you're going to be using a lot of in-game. Yeah, I mean, as a Royal Navy, you rely heavily, I think, on what you get from the beginning, whereas as the U.S. Yeah. Navy, you, you just crunch out, I think, a lot. Yeah, like, the, the U.S. is one of the only ones, without, like, really cheesing it, like, spamming stuff, um, which you can do a lot in, in Hearts of Iron 4. Like, even as the Guangxi clique, I built, like, an, a serious Navy <laughs> by, like, 1944, which is comical, but... Um, like the Japanese, they're pretty dependent on a lot of like what they have at the start. Like yeah. and, and Italy as well, they're another one. So so it would help the game a lot. So basically if they would remodel it, they would look at the Royal Navy, the Italian Navy, and the Japanese Navy and would try to put them into correct categories. And yeah, then, like then all those, you could all those make existing it up. ships. Because it would help everybody to like have because then, like, suddenly, instead of, like, the Colorado class and the New Mexico class being basically the same, you'd have more reason to maybe cherish the Colorado class a little bit more than the New Mexico's because it's a more capable ship. 
where in game like they might have hit the, the variant button a couple times but ultimately they're basically the same ship in game so it's things like that that would help with the the naval game make it a little bit more interesting uh than it currently is and i mean the, i don't want to um beat up on hearts of iron 4 too much on this front because ultimately it is a vast improvement over prior hearts of iron games where like navies just they they put virtually no development time at all into the naval so yeah yeah, I mean, this is the thing, uh, Hearts of Iron 4 is still a work in progress. Many people said, like, okay, give it a few years, like Hearts of Iron 3, and then look at the final product. And I think we should, I should add this here. I think both Hearts of Iron 3 and Hearts of Iron 4 are excellent games in, to a certain degree, what they do. Although I certainly dislike Hearts of Iron 4, but this is also a personal issue because I also played Black Eyes 3 a lot before it. Arts of Iron 4 came out and is completely focused on operational stuff and historical details. And Arts of Iron 4 went in a complete different design direction. So I know I dislike Hearts of Iron 4, but this doesn't mean it's a bad game. It's just not the game I wanted. And, and this is, I think, where we need to differentiate. It's a huge undertaking what to do. I mean, I for those who don't know, I have a master's in computer science. I know how much time goes into development. And how clunky and how problematic is even small software projects. And those are huge software projects where people work several years upon. And sometimes you have to make a gameplay decision or cut time and, and make a simple approach. Like, for instance, they probably cut the naval research because it was like, okay, it's, it's getting insane. And I have the same with sometimes of my script. I'm like, okay, this, this isn't good enough. Okay, I cut it. It's not going to see the video. But for me, it's a few hours. For them, it's several hundred hours. So we, mm -hmm. should, we should add this, that we are just basically amateurs who know nothing about the production of AAA computer games. Yeah. <laughs> I think we covered quite, quite a lot, but there's yeah. still probably a lot out there. So if people have... Co specific comments or specific questions about like what do you think about the representation of something else we can do a follow-up podcast maybe on, on specific questions would also be interesting because right now we we basically went full eastern front and, and tried to cover everything a little bit i would say thank you very much justin yeah no problem and thank you for watching and see you next time bye <laughs>